For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to episode number 189 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline. And with our AFC and NFC East reviews now in the rearview mirror, it's time to stay close to the Northeast and break down the AFC North. Three of the four teams in this division made the playoffs last season, while the Bengals picked in the top five for the second time in as many years. Tony, before we get started, Anything stand out to you as a major theme in this division? You know, except for a couple of blips, which we'll talk about, I think every team really had a strong draft. I think uh, they, they selected good players, players that fit needs, players that I think will be productive as rookies. Uh, overall, I, I thought that the AFC North as a whole had one of the better drafts of any division. And we will get to all that in this week's show in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. There are no more 2021 draft props available, obviously, but you can bet on the 2022 draft. Spencer Rattler currently almost even money to go number one overall. Sam Howell's odds are a bit under 20%. And Tony, you will be disappointed to know that Carson Strong isn't even in the top 10. But Derek Stingley Jr., and Desmond Ritter are tied for eighth at about 20 to one. I dare say that Zach Wilson wasn't in the top 10 a year ago. I dare say that two years ago, Joe Burrow wasn't in the top 10. So smart money says go place a few dollars on uh, Sam Howell at bet online and head to the website, betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, to kick off the AFC North tonight, we'll head to the Queen City, where the Bengals reunited Joe Burrow with his former LSU teammate, Jamar Chase, with the number five overall pick. Certainly, there was kind of rumors and conjecture about this pick and where the Bengals would go, whether it would be Jamar Chase, whether it would be Panay Sewell. I know, Tony, you put out a report the week of the draft that said that they were going to draft Jamar Chase, not because they wanted to you know, give Joe Burrow his college teammate back, not because he's, you know, a superstar in the making and one of the better wide receiver prospects that we've really seen in the past decade, but because they wanted to stick it to AJ Green, who had a thoroughly unproductive season last year, had his injury issues the year before, his contract, he didn't want to play, et cetera. He's now gone. He's in Arizona. They replaced him with Jamar Chase. Obviously, I mean, Jamar Chase is a star. Um, you know, he didn't even need to play this past season to be a top five pick. Nobody held the opt out against him, which goes to show how good of a player he is. He was better than Justin Jefferson two years ago. And we saw what Justin Jefferson did in the NFL last season. How much do you like this pick or how much do you not like this pick, Tony? Well, well, what I said was it was one of the reasons I basically was payback because it was a contentious ending 
uh, to A.J. Green's career with the Bengals, and they were more than happy to replace him with a receiver that they hope will do even better. Now, you know, from a value perspective, Jamar Chase was my second-rated player on my board after Trevor Lawrence. But the fact is this. Right behind him was Penny Sewell, a tremendous left tackle prospect. And, you know, as I said, ad nauseum in the weeks leading up to the draft, even when I knew that it looked like the Bengals were going to take Jamar Chase, I thought the pick should have been Penny Sewell all along. I mean, you got your franchise, your potential franchise quarterback, and one Joe Burrow, who was carted off the field with a devastating knee injury last year. They're saying he's going to be ready to go, but still, you got to keep him upright. Your left tackle right now is Jonah Williams, who's not really lived up to expectations after being selected with, what was it, the 11th pick of the draft, and he's had a lot of injury issues. Uh, Listen, I love Jamar Chase, and I can applaud them for going with best player available, but there was not that much of a spread between Jamar Chase and Penny Sewell, and I am a left tackle guy. I feel that if you can upgrade the left tackle spot and you can get a potential premier player at that position, that's the way they got to go. That's the way I think they should have gone. Now, on the second day, the Bengals did draft an offensive lineman, Jackson Carmen out of Clemson, kind of a surprise second round pick, uh, not a guy that many people had going there, more of a guard, more of an interior offensive lineman, not going to fill that left tackle hole or overtake Jonah Williams, like Tony was saying. In the third round at pick number 69, Joseph Asai, the edge rusher out of Texas, guy who was more of an off-ball linebacker early in his career, ended up being more of an edge rusher the past couple of years. So still some development in terms of playing a new position and what he can bring to the table. I think there's a good amount of upside in the Asai pick. I think he's an excellent athlete. He had good production, even though it was a new position for him. So I like that pick. I like it better than the Jackson Carmen pick. Tony, what do you think? I think, you know, you could flip them. I think uh, Jackson Carmen was probably a third round pick where you could say Joseph Asai, who a lot of people thought at one point in time would be a late first round pick was worth a, you know, a round two selection. So I, I think they got two good players. I would agree that Jackson Carmen went a little bit earlier, played left tackle at Clemson, best in a smaller area, big wide body guy, not the most athletic guy, not the most athletic uh, blocker, uh, but, but someone who's got some upside and someone who I think could help protect uh, Joe Burrow. Asai, he's an explosive athlete. He's fast up the field. He's outstanding in pursuit. He has the ability to drop off the line in coverage. He's just not a complete player. He needs to get to that point in time where, you know, he's an every down player. I thought Asai would have been better as a stand-up linebacker in a 3-4 system. The Bengals play a four-man line. They do have uh, Asai as their designated pass rusher, which he does very well. But I don't think you just want to bring him in on pass rushing downs. I think you want to develop him into an every down player, because if you don't do that, you're really selling him short. Now, seven picks on the third day for Cincinnati. We'll split them into groups here, and we'll look just at the fourth round for the Bengals. Three selections, Tulane defensive end Cameron Sample at 111, LSU defensive tackle Tyler Shelvin at 122, and East Carolina offensive tackle Deante Smith at pick 139. The guy we've discussed a bunch on the show, at least in the preseason when we go over the conference, because, I mean, frankly, he was always one of the better prospects available from that conference, but more of a right tackle type, more of a mauler, more of, as Tony kind of said with Jackson Carmen, a small area guy, a guy who's not going to protect the blind side. Cameron Sample, really a guy very productive at Tulane. He's not the biggest guy. He's definitely a guy who gets the first step on his opponents, but I think there is some upside here for him to eventually break into a starting lineup. At the very least, he'll be a useful part of a rotation. Tony, any thoughts on this trio of selections? Yeah, you know, I like Smith's athleticism. I don't know that he's going to be left tackle, maybe a right tackle. I had him as a guard 
uh, on my guard board, his own blocking guard. I think he'll do well there. I think he's got a bit of upside. I would agree with you uh, completely about Sample. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the most athletic guy. He's just a real good football player. Good mechanics, good fundamentals. He's got someone you're going to use in a rotational basis. I thought this was a good fourth round pick. Tyler Shelvin, more of a pure nose tackle. I mean, he's a massive wide body lineman that takes up and occupies multiple blockers and is impossible to move off the point. Granted, they play a four-man front, but they do use a sort of a nose tackle in that four-man front, the Bengals. Shelvin comes into the league, opting out of last season, playing relatively well in 2019. Very undeveloped game. Really guy who actually has got to get a little bit slimmer. He's probably too big at 340, 350 pounds. You want to see him get a little bit smaller and then turn that baby fat into strength. But for what the Bengals do, I think that was a solid selection. Now, four more picks on the third day. Florida kicker Evan McPherson. In the fifth round, first kicker selected in this draft, Georgia offensive lineman, center, guard, interior kind of guy, Trey Hill, Michigan running back, Chris Evans, and Kansas State defensive end, Wyatt Hubert. Uh, you know, Cincinnati really addressing the interior offensive line here, and obviously depending on how they use Deontay Smith and even Jackson Carmen, but, you know, recognizing that they need help along the offensive line for Joe Burrow, and despite passing on Panay Sewell at the top, adding depth, adding players who can contribute. I mean, Trey Hill was a pretty solid player at Georgia, maybe nothing more than a backup at the NFL level, but at the very least, good depth in the sixth round, and also Chris Evans in the sixth round. Um, you know, running backs kind of fell down the board here. Evans was a guy who went you know, right around where he seemingly was expected to go, a guy who never really got the opportunity to produce at Michigan, but he was a big-time recruit. He's a guy that does have some athletic traits. He's an interesting player to be a potential backup down the line to Joe Mixon. You know, with Hill and Evans, I think it's a situation where you got to get those players back to where they were playing their best college football and then develop them from there. What do I mean? Off the 2019 film, Trey Hill looked like a legitimate second-day pick. He did not play well in 2020, and then there were knee issues, which is why he, he fell into the sixth round. But still, he could be very good value. I think he has the ability to be a real good zone-blocking guard, uh, zone-blocking lineman in the NFL. He's got excellent size. He's just got to stay healthy, although he really didn't miss too many games at Georgia. It's a situation where it uh, could bother him down the road. Uh, but I like that pick. Chris Evans. In 2018, really looked like the next coming uh, as far as running backs from Michigan, academically ineligible a year later, rotated in and out of the lineup last year. Like you said, didn't get a chance, but that Michigan offense was <laughs> was a disaster last year at almost every position. Couldn't get it straight at quarterback, couldn't get it straight at running back. You know, our, our, boy, our guy Eubanks, the tight end, never lived up to expectations. Nico Collins sat out at, at receiver, so it, it was just a, it was a disaster. Evans, again, he's good six-round value. And if you get him back to where he was off that 2018 film, you're going to have someone that you can rotate in and out of the lineup. White Hubert, I think, compared to Joseph Asai, he's a little bit more consistent. He's not nearly as athletic, not nearly as explosive, but he'll add depth as the designated pass rusher. Evan McPherson had the strongest leg of any kicker in the draft. He showed the ability to boom his field goals from long distance in the past. Just missed a lot of field goals in 2020. You'll have to see if he's able to rebound from that. Now, several undrafted free agents of note for Cincinnati. Kansas running back Puka Williams, a guy who we spoke to. His former college teammate, Khalil Herbert, had nothing bad to say about Puka Williams as a player outside of the fact, I mean, Puka Williams, he's a little bit small. He's not the kind of guy that's going to carry any sort of load. It's going to be tough for him to make the roster, but 
He's a situational type of guy who could contribute on third downs. Antonio Phillips out of Ball State, a corner with very nice size, who we've talked about a few times on the show, at a very good close to the season after. He was a little up and down early on, but definitely an intriguing guy in terms of his size and some of his traits. And speaking of athletic traits, TCU tight end Pro Wells, a guy that we discussed in the lead up to the draft as someone who is likely to kind of fall out of the draft. He ended up falling out of the draft, but he's an athletic guy. He can stretch the seam, just never really put it all together, never produced at the college level, but an intriguing ball of clay to take an undrafted flyer on. And you know what? If he doesn't work out in camp, you cut him and there's really no issue. You didn't invest too much in him. Tony, what do you think of what the Bengals did after the draft? Well, I think Pro Wells made a mistake entering the draft. I said that all along. And you're right. He's very athletic. He flashes ability, but he's as consistent as the weather which is not, no consistency at all. Puka Williams, I, believe, I remember Khalil Herbert actually speaking very highly of, of Puka Williams. Uh, you know, I, I think he's got an opportunity to make the roster because he, he's so different. He's such a sort of a complimentary back. He's got great speed. He's got the ability to turn the perimeter. If he shows himself to be a solid pass catcher out of the backfield, that will really give him a leg up to capturing a, an active roster spot. Antonio Phillips, the cornerback who they selected, was is a solid uh, player could make it as a dime back. Darius Hodge is an interesting guy. I don't like him in the Bengal system at defensive end as a pass rusher. You watch him at Marshall. He was kind of out of place as a guy who rushed the passer, but he shows some athleticism. I don't think he makes the roster, but I think whether it's a uh, Bengals practice squad or another roster, primarily a 4-3 type roster where he can play on the outside, I think Hodge has got a shot. Now, no other picks in the top 23 for this division, as I mentioned, everybody making the playoffs. At number 24, Pittsburgh selected Najee Harris, running back out of Alabama, the first ball carrier off the board, a guy that we told you many times would be the first ball carrier off the board when a lot of people were leaning towards Travis Etienne, who, who ended up going with the next pick anyway. But, I mean, Najee Harris, three down back, complete player, good enough athlete. I mean, yeah, maybe the long speed isn't there, but, I mean, you've seen the hurdles. You've seen the highlights. I mean, this guy has all the athleticism that you need at the running back position. He's big, he's strong, he's a good receiver. He can adjust to balls in the air. I mean, he makes plays, you know, back shoulder fades in the red zone, things like that. I mean, that you see receivers and tight ends make. I mean, this guy, he is a complete player. We said the same thing about Josh Jacobs. Unfortunately, the Raiders haven't used him like that. I do think the Steelers plan on using Najee Harris as a bell cow back. He has the opportunity, he has the ability. I'm foreseeing a big season for Najee Harris if that offensive line can open up holes for him. This pick should come as a surprise to no one, especially anyone who's followed us at uh, Pro Football Network. I said since the first day of senior bowl practice, Harris was being targeted by two teams, the Dolphins at 18 or the Steelers at 24. As we got closer to the draft, there were some people saying the Steelers weren't going to go, some people in the national media saying the Steelers weren't going to go running back. I said it was a load of crap. Harris was their guy. He fits the identity. He fits exactly what they want to do. Not a great perimeter runner but a guy who can grind it on the inside will pick and choose his spots. Terrific short area quickness, make defenders miss. Chris, you mentioned his pass catching skill, uh, a terrific blocker. I think prior to the days of the running back position being devalued, Najee Harris is a legitimate top 15 pick. He is that sort of player, a real leader. Dillard fans should be very excited about the selection. Now on the second day of the draft, Pittsburgh went with tight end Pat Fryermuth out of Penn State at pick 55, and Illinois interior offensive lineman Kendrick Green at pick number 87. Frymuth, second tight end off the board, certainly nowhere near the stratosphere of Kyle Pitts, but that's not really meant to be a knock on Frymuth, who's a very good football player, a guy who should be a longtime NFL starter at the tight end position, even if he isn't maybe a top 8 to 10 
tight end in the league. I mean, he can block, he can catch, he can stretch the seam a little bit. He's not a superlative athlete by any means, but a good solid player who should make an impact this season a little bit behind Eric Ebron as an inline player. And then he'll take over certainly full-time once Ebron moves on next season, presumably. And then Kendrick Green, I mean, we talked about Najee Harris being a guy you're going to run on the interior. Well, Kendrick Green is a guy who can open holes in the running game on the interior. You can use him at guard. You can potentially even use him at center. Uh, so an interesting player to add kind of in that offensive line, which I did mention was an issue for the Steelers last season. Yeah, I agree. It was a terrific pick. I mean, he, he's a guy who can play center or guard. I think I, I, he's got a good amount of upside. He's smart. He's tough. He's relatively athletic. Would not surprise me if he is the Steelers opening day center uh, come this September. Fryermuth is a guy who I was not as high on as many people. Now, when I say not as high on him, there were some people that were talking about Jacksonville taking him to the top of round two. I never thought he was that uh, type of player. He was my number 66th overall player on the board. I think he's a good tight end, as you pointed out, a good pass catcher. Didn't run for scouts prior to uh, the draft, which left a bad taste in, in a few people's mouths because they never got an idea as, as to his speed. But he's a guy that, you know, at Penn State, they flexed him out. They used him uh, in the slot. Uh, didn't they ask him to block much? He's going to have to improve that area of his game. But again, you know, like Najee Harris, fits what the Steelers want to do, fits their identity. So in that sense, I think it was a real good pick. Now, another offensive lineman kicking off round four for Pittsburgh, Texas A&M's Dan Moore, then Texas A&M teammate, Buddy Johnson, linebacker, 12 picks later at pick 140. And then friend of the show, Isaiah Loudermilk, at 156, defensive end, possibly defensive tackle out of Wisconsin. The guy we discussed, very good size, very good length, a decent athlete too. I was very happy to see him drafted in the fifth round. A lot of people didn't think he was going to go that high. So it was definitely good to see Laddermilk go there. Dan Moore, just another investment for the Steelers on the offensive line. You know, not an athletic blocker, but a guy who, you know, as a right tackle, as a right guard, you know, can be effective in the running game. Might be a long-term backup, but certainly just more fortification for the Steelers along that offensive line, which again, needed work. And then Buddy Johnson, run and chase type of linebacker. He's, you know, as Tony likes to say, he's a smaller type of guy. He's not going to stack against the run. He's not going to, you know, shed blocks in the middle of the field, but he's a guy, if you keep him clean, he can go sideline to sideline and make some plays. Tony, what do you think of these three selections for Pittsburgh? Yeah, J Johnson is more of a rotational linebacker in, situation, in certain situations or someone that's going to give the starters a breather. Dan Moore is a uh, developmental type of left tackle. He showed flashes at Texas A&M. He showed flashes at the senior ball. He's got excellent size, excellent length, decent footwork. I don't think he's there uh, yet. And he's going to need some time. And I agree with you about Loudermilk. I mean, a lot of people were surprised that he went as early as he did. I recommend you go back and you listen to our interview with him because when you listen to the Milk for the half hour we had him on, you could understand why the Steelers liked him because he comes across very well. He knows what he needs to work on. He knows where he's at. He's very honest. Uh, he's also a guy who uh, makes football a priority. Uh, he's very focused on the task at hand. I had said during that, uh, during that interview with Milk that I thought he would be best as a two-gap end as he eventually grows into his size, and I think that's what the Steelers have in mind for him. Now, three more picks for the Steelers in rounds six and seven. Miami defensive end Quincy Roach at 216. Oklahoma defensive back Trey Norwood at 245. And Georgia Tech punter Presley Harvin III with pick 254 in the draft. Now, Roach is a guy that we discussed a lot because we talked a lot about the Miami defensive line, whether it was Jalen Phillips, whether it was Gregory Rousseau, even if he did not play. 
Roach was kind of the forgotten man. And I mean, there's a reason for that. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the most athletic guy, but he was a very productive player. He's a guy that does kind of fit the mold of what the Steelers like in their defensive linemen. So could be an interesting backup for them. Maybe he breaks into the rotation at some points as well. Trey Norwood, you know, he's a good, quick defensive back. He's not the biggest guy. He's not going to wow you with strength or physicality or anything like that. Probably best in a zone type of system, but you know, a guy could provide depth at the NFL level. And then Tony Presley Harvin, he's a punter. He kicks the ball. I'll leave any further analysis to you. If you want to add something for him, he kicks the ball long and high. He's got to learn to directional kick. Uh, I agree with you. What you said about Norwood Roach in my mind is a lot like Pat Fryermuth and is a lot like Najee Harris. He's a perfect fit. He fits the Steelers identity. I think this was a tremendous selection for him. I think this is a steal. Like you said, he's not a guy that's going to wow you, but you know what you're getting. You're getting a hard-nosed, tough football player that will be real good in the Steelers system, standing over tackle as a designated pass rusher, someone who doesn't have mental lapses, plays smart football, and is consistently productive. You know, somebody asked me, uh, compare him to Alex Highsmith, uh, who was their third-round pick a year ago. Highsmith is more athletic. Highsmith is more uh, more explosive. But Quincy Roach is more the polished product. He's more the re- the real deal in the sense that He's very NFL ready, and you're not going to have as many lapses uh, with Quincy Roach. Now, after the draft, several signings for Pittsburgh. The ones that stand out to me, Shakur Brown, cornerback out of Michigan State, a guy that most people expected to be drafted sometime on day three, falls all the way out of the draft. A guy that you know really improved throughout his college career, a good player, good ball skills, definitely some upside and you know, a surprise undrafted free agent. Calvin Bungage out of Oklahoma State, a guy that used to be used more as a linebacker, was used a little bit more off the edge this year. Amen. Agbang Benmigo was used more as their, their main kind of roving linebacker, uh, maybe a little out of position for Bundage, but still an intriguing type of player. And Hawaii's Rico Bussey at wide receiver, a guy that we've discussed a lot on the show, mostly for being kind of disappointing because he was a guy that scouts gave mid-round grades to, and he never really lived up to those expectations. But the Steelers didn't have to use a mid-round pick on him. They used nothing on him. They signed him after the draft. Again, low risk, some level of upside. Tony, what do you think of what the Steelers did after the draft? Yeah, Bussey was graded as a fourth-round pick in 2019 when he was a senior at North Texas, got injured early in the year. I believe it was an ankle injury, sat out the season, transferred to Hawaii. Who wouldn't want to transfer to Hawaii? Uh, and was very inconsistent. Was not even Hawaii's best receiver last year. There's a lot of upside there. There's a lot of potential there. But, you know, he's got to really put his nose to the grindstone. Uh, I like the Isaiah McCoy uh, uh, signing from Kent State. I think he's a guy who he's not a real fast guy, but he's well-built and he's a, a consistent pass catcher. He could make the roster as a fifth receiver. I agree with you about Calvin Bundage. who's basically out of position, kind of fell out of favor at Oklahoma State this year. But if you go back and you watch the 2019 film, he was a real good football player. Shakur Brown, one of my favorite guys. I thought he was worth a fourth-round pick. He didn't interview that well. He's undersized in the sense that he's under five foot ten, he ran in the four sixes uh, during pro day. There's just not a big market for that type of cornerback in the NFL draft. Doesn't mean they're not going to play at the next level. Doesn't mean he can't turn into a good nickel or dime back. Next team on the ledger for the AFC North is the Cleveland Browns, selecting at number twenty six. The latest I can remember them selecting in a long time after you know their best season in a long time. Northwestern quarterback Greg Newsom was the pick at twenty six overall the fourth quarterback off the board behind Patrick Sertan, J.C. Horn, and Caleb Farley, and frankly, a very good player. 
Newsom has good size. He's a pretty good athlete. He understands what's going on in the football field. He shows good awareness. He shows the ability to make plays on the ball. I think he's a very good cornerback, a guy who may not have been getting a ton of attention outside of scouting circles, but a guy that when you really look at this draft, went right about where he should have gone. I would agree. And he's been a good player at Northwestern for the past two years. The big question about him was speed. And then he goes uh, during uh, uh, Northwestern's pro day, Rashawn Slater, the offensive tackle has a great workout. Well, Greg Newsom also ran the four threes, the high four threes, which answered some questions about his speed. So now it's just a matter of coaching him to play to that speed. But when you look at his physicality, you look at his instincts, you look at the fact that oftentimes opponents were not throwing in his direction because he was able to shut down their receivers, came up with some big plays, came up with a big play that was constant game. Uh, and, and a guy who was good in 2019, better in 2020, he's on the upswing and he feels a need uh, for the Browns at cornerback. Now, speaking of filling needs, Cleveland selects linebacker Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa at pick 52, a guy who slid due to some medical concerns, but definitely represents very good value in the second round. And we want to talk about speed. Auburn wide receiver Anthony Schwartz was the selection at 91. I mean, this guy has 4-3 type, sub-4-3 speed, a real burner at Auburn. I mean, everyone wanted to talk about Seth Williams coming into the season. Anthony Schwartz went several rounds ahead of Seth Williams because of what he can bring from a tactical perspective, uh, you know, just – a good pick here for Cleveland, just as a guy who they can run out there and they can clear out space for some of their underneath receivers, a Jarvis Landry type, an Odell Beckham as he kind of loses some athleticism as he ages here. But you know, overall, decent pick on Schwartz, really good pick on Owosu Koromoa. He's a smaller guy. He's about 220 pounds, so you might have to protect him a little bit. But I mean, this is a guy that, when given space to roam, can make plays. Yeah, Owosu Koromoa's playing weight is closer to 212 pounds. That's one of the reasons why he fell, because... He showed up a pro day 220, didn't run. So now you're wondering what his true size speed or numbers are. Uh, can he stay at 220 pounds without pulling hamstrings and things like that? You mentioned the medical concerns. I was told there was an issue with an EKG. But the fact is this. He's a terrific football player. He is your traditional 4-3 weak side linebacker who stacks well against the run. He's outstanding in pursuit. He's tremendous in coverage. I mean, he's got safety size and he covers like a safety. It's just a matter of, like you said, can they protect him? Can he keep on weight? Can he keep on weight and keep his speed? That's why he fell as late as he did. Schwartz is a fast guy who's got to improve his route running. He's got to expand his route tree, catches the ball well, although a lot of the uh, receptions at Auburn were underneath receptions. There were a few long receptions, but the, uh, the quarterback, the passing situation at Auburn is a disaster with the uh, – Bo Nix there, just a guy who, you know, is a sandlot passer, which hurt, I believe, Schwartz's development. But still, late in the third round, you want a burner, as you said, you know, the type of guy you put him in the slot, you let him run downfield, it's going to open things up in the underneath routes or even the running game. Now, five picks on the third day for Cleveland, two in the fourth round, Cincinnati offensive tackle James Hudson at 110, and Ohio State defensive tackle Tommy Togiai at 132, West Virginia linebacker Tony Fields at 153, Georgia safety, Richard LeCount at 169, those two picks in round five. And then in round six, UCLA running back, wide receiver, Demetric Felton. I believe he was actually announced as a receiver. Uh, just another guy who brings some speed and, you know, a guy who played receiver at the Senior Bowl, but he was a running back at UCLA. I know Tony feels like, you know, the Senior Bowl really didn't do him any favors using him only at receiver. Still ends up going in the sixth round. Decent enough draft capital for Felton. Fields is another guy, linebacker, who fits the system. Uh, not necessarily a great value pick, but a guy who, again, does fit what the Browns want to do. The other picks, though, Hudson, Togiai, and the count, I like all these picks. 
Hudson was good value in the fourth round as a guy who has the ability to be a starting offensive tackle in terms of his traits, his size, his athletic ability, his toughness. Uh, just needs to kind of put it all together a little bit. Tommy Togiai, maybe he wasn't on the radar at the beginning of the season quite that much, and maybe that's why he fell a little bit. But another guy that you know probably was a potential late round three pick that fell into the fourth round. And then Richard LeCount, yeah, I know his pro day was absolutely atrocious. He's extremely slow, but the guy is a good football player. At the very least, he can be an ace special teamer for the Browns and a key backup. And you know what? If they can find ways to cover for his speed, I mean, this guy does have the ball skills and the ability to play safety at the NFL level. Terrific football player for three years at Georgia. And he's one of those guys, he may not be 40 fast, but he's football fast. I mean, he, you, you never see him trailing guys downfield. You see him able to get out to the flanks and help out the cornerbacks in coverage. Uh, someone who I think can play free safety and someone who I think in the day and age where teams usually line up a lot of three safeties, you know, will have a home at the next level. Uh, you mentioned uh, James Hudson, a guy who fell because of poor workouts and poor interviews, but uh, at one point in time, people were talking about James Hudson as being a, a second round pick. I've stated all along. I don't think he's going to be a left tackle. I think he's going to be a real good right tackle. The Browns have a good right tackle there in Jack Conklin, who the New York Jets probably should have signed as a free agent, but Conklin's got two years left on the, uh, on his contract. So Hudson will be able to develop behind him. Tommy Togiai, like you said, quick explosive. I don't think he's a one year wonder, but really came on last season. Uh, more of a first step guy who plays with great, uh, uh, great leverage and great fundamentals. Tony Fields is undersized, but he's a nasty run and chase linebacker. Terrific in pursuit, really lays it on the line uh, against the run. And Felton, you know, you're right. I, I mean, I, I thought that they did him a disservice just using him solely at uh, receiver during the uh, during the senior ball. They wanted to show his versatility. He started off hot and then he kind of faded. When you look at the uh, the depth chart for the Browns at the running back position, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. I think the metric Felton's got a real chance because he's a good complimentary back. I mean, he's the, he's the guy who can turn the corner, can get around the perimeter. He's the guy that can create yardage. He's a guy who's a good pass catcher out of the backfield. So I think Felton probably fell further in the draft than he would have if he had played uh, taken reps or a lot of reps at running back during the senior bowl. But at the very least, I think he's in a good situation in Cleveland. Now, only five players signed after the draft by the Browns. The big name is Florida State defensive tackle Marvin Wilson, a guy that, I mean, several years ago, and this guy was a day two pick, possibly even higher, at least as far as he was considered, falls all the way out of the draft after just, you know, a lot of things happening over the past couple of seasons between both himself and the Florida State program. Uh, falls out of the draft, you know, that's the time to take a flyer on a talent like this, uh, despite the lack of production and, and other issues going on with Marvin Wilson going on with Marvin Wilson and then Manny Rugamba out of Miami, Ohio, the cornerback, you know, solid player, uh, a guy that when I forget who, which interview it was, but I think we talked about going against Manny Rugamba at some point said he was a very solid player. Might have a chance to make the roster here, Tony. What do you think of what the Browns did after the draft? Yeah, I, I believe Dwayne Eskridge was the guy who talked about the uh, Rugamba when we interviewed uh, Dwayne Eskridge right before the draft, a terrific interview, by the way. Uh, and he said that he mentioned Rugamba as a tough physical guy uh, that really used his size and his advantage. Obviously, Marvin Wilson, he, you know, similar situation with Tamari and Terry in the sense that his, his Florida State, the teammate who played receiver, in the sense that at one point in time, a highly rated guy who the past two years, his game has just leveled off and in some, in some instances have he, has even regressed. I mean, Marvin Wilson falling out of the draft. I had him as a fifth round pick when people were saying he was a first rounder. I didn't think he would fall out of the draft. 
because he's big, he's explosive, he's a guy who can make plays for a bigger lineman. He's not, not just a gap occupier. I think it's a situation where, you know, he's going to have to get back to where he was in 2018. At the very least, if he doesn't make the active roster, I could see him making a practice squad. Now, last but not least, we'll head to Baltimore for the Ravens here, who, again, added more help at wide receiver. Maybe they'll open up the passing game a little bit this season to utilize this wide receiver more, and that is Minnesota wide receiver Rashad Bateman, epic number 27, a guy who really had a nondescript 2020 campaign, uh, got COVID, was used a little bit more in the slot uh, this season than outside, where he really excelled the past couple seasons beforehand. Um, so kind of a lost year for Bateman, but it does say something that he still went in the first round after really just not having the campaign many people expected in 2020. Now, obviously, there are other factors besides COVID, uh, what was going on with the Minnesota passing game and everything else. But I mean, at the top of his game, I mean, Bateman may not be the biggest guy. He may not be the most athletic guy, but he's got more than enough size and more than enough athleticism. He wins at the catch point. He's just a very good wide receiver. And I think this was an excellent pick for Baltimore. Yeah, I, I do a lot of Baltimore radio uh, in the lead up to the draft. And I consistently had Rashad Bateman mocked or spoke about Rashad Bateman going to the uh, going to the Ravens before they traded away Orlando Brown and got that extra first round pick. I didn't know whether they were going to go receiver after after signing Sammy Watkins in free agency. But the fact is this. He brings better speed than Sammy Watkins and he's got better size than Marquis Brown. So he's someone who could slide right in there. And I agree with you. I mean, 2020 was not a good season, but the fact is he initially opted out and then the big 10 said they weren't going to play. And then they said they're going to start their delayed start. And if you watch that whole Minnesota team this year, I mean, there were guys out of place. Benjamin St. Juice didn't play wet. Well, he was out of place. Rashad Bateman was up and down, but he competed and he's got a lot of skill. You know, he's got solid size. He plays fast, he catches the ball. Well, he's a game controlling receiver that will sneak it down field on occasion. And, you know, after first round pick receiver, after first round pick receiver that has really disappointed, maybe uh, the Ravens have stopped the bleeding with Rashad Bateman. Now, the second first round pick for Baltimore is Penn State defensive end Jason Owe, a guy that we discussed a couple times this season. We we're watching both him and Chaka Tony. And I mean, Owe just had a much better season than Chaka Tony. He's a better athlete. He's a guy that has a lot of upside coming off the edge guy that needs to develop his game a little bit, needs to add a few more moves, but a very talented player who could bring a lot to the Ravens as a pass rusher. No picks in the second round for Baltimore, but two in the third round, Ben Cleveland, offensive lineman out of Georgia at 94, and Brandon Stevens, the defensive back out of SMU at 104. And the reality here is Ben Cleveland is a mauler. He's a guy in the run game that can make an impact. Uh, went a little bit higher, I think, than a lot of people expected uh, end of the third round here, but a guy that can definitely make an impact in the run game. And then Brandon Stevens, not the fastest guy, but strong against the run, can play the ball. Um, you know, another guy that the Ravens might have taken a little bit earlier than a lot of people had on their board. But, I mean, when it comes to the Ravens, they do do a good job drafting. So sometimes when they pick a player high, there's a reason for it rather than, oh, you know what, this is automatically a reach. Yeah, I think what they do is it's not that they do a good job drafting is they do a good job developing the players that they draft. And it's going to then they're going to have to do that with both O.A. and Stevens, because O.A., yeah, he's very athletic. He's explosive. But the production just has not been there. I mean, I was shocked that he entered the draft and I was shocked that the Ravens took him around one. He is a project. He is a bit of a boomer bust type of uh, player. Uh, he's got great upside, but you're going to have to work hard to tap into that upside. Brandon Stevens, I mean, I had him as a very late round pick. 
Is he a corner? Is he a safety? Yeah, he's tough. Yeah, he's smart. But you're really going to have to play him in a situation where he's facing the action. I like him better at safety than cornerback. Cleveland had been moving up draft boards. Cleveland is a massive man who played well at Georgia, played well at the senior bowl, then ran like a 5.03 seconds in the 40 uh, during pro day at like 355 pounds. He's a guy that, you know, we, we talked about the Steelers with Najee Harris and some of their picks. This, this fits the uh, Ravens' identity in their offensive lineman. A big punch-in-the-mouth, wide-body blocker that can just annihilate people at the point of attack and moves relatively well. Now, four picks on the third day for Baltimore. Oklahoma State wide receiver Tylen Wallace in the fourth round. And then three in round five, Ohio State cornerback Sean Wade, Notre Dame defensive end Dalen Hayes, and Michigan fullback Ben Mason. And Tylen Wallace, very productive player. Again, not the fastest, not the biggest guy, but a guy who wins out in contested situations, Obviously, a lot of production at Oklahoma State uh, fell a little bit due to some injury issues and just the fact that, you know, nothing stands out in terms of his physical traits. But what he does on the field is a very good receiver. And we'll just add some more depth to that Ravens depth chart at the position. Sean Wade, big name, you know, a guy that, you know, we've talked about a lot on this show is, you know, he was probably going to be a first round pick, uh, you know, after last season, people thought that was the case with him. And then he just just had a terrible season. We don't need to go too much further on that, but ends up in the fifth round, which probably about right for what he did, but also what he has shown earlier in his career. Dalen Hayes out of Notre Dame and Ben Mason, solid picks in the fifth round. Tony, I know uh, you were pumping the Ben Mason to the Jets train, uh, ends up going to Baltimore here, should give them a boost as a blocker and as a receiver out of the backfield as well. And I think he went to uh, Baltimore two or three picks before the Jets were selecting in the sixth round. So uh, a little bit of irony, if not coincidence there, is the Jets liked him as, you know, the, the Kyle Jusic type of player. I think he's an excellent fit uh, in Baltimore. He's a guy who's a, a triple threat uh, sort of West Coast type fullback or throwback uh, type fullback in, in the West Coast uh, system. And I think with somebody like Lamar Jackson, who likes to run the ball, Mason can block. It could be a short yardage ball carrier. It can be a consistent pass catcher. So I thought that was a sensational pick uh, for the Ravens. And it was the Jets' loss. Tylon Wallace going back to the fourth round reminds me a lot of Brandon Ayuk. Yeah, he's not the biggest guy. Yeah, he's not the fastest guy. But he's a consistent pass catcher who runs outstanding routes and separates from opponents. Sean Wade is a lot like Bradley Roby and Eli Apple, except those guys were first-round picks and Sean Wade was a fifth-round pick. And what I mean by that is those were guys who entered the draft as juniors after poor seasons. They played their best football as sophomores at Ohio State. Never really got it back. Wade's got tremendous amount of talent, but half the time he looked last year like he didn't even want to be out on the field. Dalen Hayes, interesting selection. I like Dalen Hayes more in a four-man line. Granted, you know, they play a three-man line uh, in Baltimore, but they do use their outside linebacker up at the line of scrimmage. So it's basically like a three-man line with one guy or a four-man line with one of them standing up in a one-gap system. Uh, you know, we've talked to people who, uh, I think it was Quinn Miners, when we had when we interviewed him, said that Dalen Hayes showed great power. He's very athletic. I, I thought this is good value in the fifth round for the Ravens. Now, the Ravens did get some good value as well. After the draft, the main name that sticks out to me is Oklahoma tackle Adrian Ely, a guy that nobody expected to go undrafted. You know, a guy that you're probably going to fill in at right tackle. He's a powerful guy, but he can also pass block as well. So he's not a one-dimensional offensive lineman. And, and those guys rarely fall completely out of the draft. Ravens did a good job scooping him in terms of the talent and ability that he brings. Uh, Tony Poljan, the 
Virginia tight end, you know, a guy that we talked about heading into the season could be a day three pick, but just not really a great season. Didn't really show too much, but he's six, seven. He's got a lot of size needs to fill into that frame a little bit needs to add some strength. Uh, but he's not the kind of guy that's going to stretch the seam, an interesting player, but probably not going to make a huge impact. And then our Darius Washington out of TCU, he watches his teammate Trevon Merrick go in round two. Our Darius Washington though, very small, a uh, good athlete, but I mean, just the size in terms of, you know, what he brings, I think he's about five, eight, one eighty. It's just extremely small for an NFL safety. So in terms of his athleticism and his ball skills, he's a good football player, but he's just extremely small. And he ran in the four sixes during pro day, which killed his, uh, his draft stock, uh, outstanding ball skills. I mean, a guy who I thought at times could play cornerback or you can use him over the slot receiver, absolutely can play uh, free safety. He's one of those guys, like we talked about Richard LeCount earlier, uh, not fast for the 40, but football fast and gets to the spot to make plays. So I thought there was a terrific signing by the, uh, by the Ravens, as was Adrian Ely, you know, sort of like Orlando Brown, the sense that he's a guy who doesn't play with good knee bend, which turns a lot of teams off, doesn't get good leverage. Ely can play in the NFL. There's no doubt about it. He can play at right tackle. I too was also really surprised uh, that he fell out of the draft. He's got an upside. Nate McCrary, who they signed uh, the uh, running back from Saginaw Valley State. Don't know that he makes the active roster, but I can absolutely see him making a practice squad. And that's it for the 189th episode of the Draft Analyst, presented by Bet Online and the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us any questions and give any feedback you may have as well. We'll be back later this week with the NFC North. But until then, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.